Welcome to the Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. Welcome to the Sages Among Us. I am Keith Porter, and my guest today is Scott Kellerman, MD. He's a physician. He's practiced in Los Angeles, Nepal, New Orleans, Nevada City, and Uganda. And he's a humanitarian in every sense of the word, and he has just become, recently, Nevada County's new public health officer. So, Scott, welcome to the hot seat on the Sages Among Us. Uh, thanks, Keith. I hope it's not too hot. Well, we'll we'll, we'll try to keep it uh, tempered so it doesn't get out of hand here. <laughs> So uh, well, I appreciate that. I'm from the South, but yeah, not too hot is good. Thanks. <laughs> right. We have so much to talk about in so little time. I wanted to just share a little bit about your background before we get into uh, uh, all the details that we want to talk about. You are a graduate of Tulane with an MD and two master's degrees. Uh, you interned uh, and did your residency in L.A. You went to Nepal and practiced there for a couple of years, and you specialized in tropical medicine, I think, also in your studies and and also probably in Nepal. Uh, you were in family practice in Nevada City for 20 years. Uh, you then went uh, to New Uganda, where you did some humanitarian work uh, medically with the Batwa Pygmy folks and also founded a hospital and a nursing school. You teach medicine. You did that as a Fulbright scholar a couple of years ago, I believe. And you're a consultant with the Centers for Research in Emerging Infectious Diseases. That's quite a resume, and I probably only scratch the surface, but uh, it's pretty impressive. So uh, you must have done a lot of studying as a young man, maybe as an old man, too. Who knows? I'm still studying, Keith. <laughs> it's called, uh, you know, it's like fishing, you know. It's, you know, it's not fishing, not catching, and, and it's uh, practicing. That's the reason medicine is still practicing. I'm still practicing medicine. I'm still working on it and kind of honing my talents. Thanks. Well, good. Um, well, and Scott, this show is about you, basically, your work, civic engagement and so forth. But uh, we, And we want to talk about all of that, your background, your life of service, your adventures, uh, your many accomplishments. But so many of us in this community and, and abroad, uh, throughout the country, well, the whole world, I guess, we're all on edge and unsure about how we're going to get vaccinated for COVID. Uh, so could you start with a little short status summary of vaccination efforts um, in our county and in the rural area that we live in? Sure. Thanks, Keith. Um, you know, it's more than just immunizations. We still remain in a surge. We've got 3,700 cases in this county, 74 deaths. Therefore, we need to continue the usual precautions, wear a mask, physical distancing, avoid large indoor guarding, guard gatherings, wash your hands. And uh, you got to remember, don't pick your nose. Um, but for vaccinations, there's four sources of immunizations coming in the county. Sierra Nevada Hospital uh, is called Melty County Entity, and it gets its uh, immunizations through Dignity. There's Chapaday. They get a stream through Indian Health Pharmacies, mainly for skilled nursing facilities. So far, they get a separate uh, stream of immunization, and then the Public Health Department. So far, we've given out around 11,000 doses of vaccine. Mainly through working through partners, Docomos, Western Sierra, Christina Lasich, Sierra Family, Tyler Forrest, Yuba Docs, Dr. Hicks. There's a website that has just come online called My Turn. Um, it's become 
uh, a little more active here in the next seven to ten days, but you can register and get information regarding time and place feminization. One of the problems for our county is uh, we're in the under over 65 age category, and uh, it's, it's a big issue because Nevada County has the highest percentage of folks over age 65 of any county in the, in the state. We have 30% over age 65 compared to Sacramento County, 14, and L.A. County, 13. So it's a heavy lift, but we can do it together. Well, so Scott, be, be wise, immunize. Yeah. So, Scott, it seems very confusing with all these different sources for the vaccine. I mean, it's one source, I guess, but it's all coming into different channels. And uh, is it your role to try to pull this together and coordinate it and keep us all, um, uh, you know, uh, fairly treated and equally treated and so forth? Yes, 80% of the immunizations are coming in are coming through public health. And it is through these collaborative relationships that we're developing a distribution network. And it is all these partners that are, that are, um, that are immunizing people. And so when you hook into um, my turn, they will orient you to a place to go and when you and when you will be able to sign up for an immunization. Okay, so the next step for people who are still concerned and uncertain of what to do is to register on my turn and is it myturn.com, did you say? Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's my turn gov.co.ca.gov or you can just uh, check on Nevada County Public Health website um, and just scroll down and and it'll have a a way to access through my turn. Okay, so the public health website or myturn.ca.gov like uh, we're used to contacting California agencies that way. All right, Scott. Well, thank, thank you for the thank you for the update and the news about how people can get information. But now I'd like to go back to your background and uh, the influences that made you the person you are today as we work our way through your life uh, journey all the way to now our public health officer. So you grew up in New Orleans. You had a brother. Just curious, in your early life, were you the good brother or the bad troublemaking brother? Uh, probably more the latter, um, <laughs> and that's still the case. Um, I got a brother named Craig, and he and I were exceedingly competitive early in life, uh, which was hard on me because I lost. He was classically the first in his class. He was a gifted orator. I was president of my senior class, and he was the president of the student body. Uh-huh. So it didn't take long to see the wisdom of collaboration versus competition, and as a result, we've been close friends ever since. And, you know, he lives on the East Coast. We talk every day. No, that's it's great. really been a gift. That's great. Well, so your master's, uh, well, I assume while getting your MD or maybe before or after, I don't know, your master's were in public health and tropical medicine. Um, what motivated you to, to take that direction in life, uh, medicine and uh, tropical medicine in particular? Uh, from my youth, I felt the call to medicine and, and felt, you know, that working overseas in a resource-poor setting would be a good fit for me. So I specialized in family practice, gave me a well-rounded medical, medical background. The one missing key was surgery, so I returned to Tulane in New Orleans and completed a year of surgery residency. And kind of when studying surgery, I audited some courses in tropical medicine. And I was fascinated by the disease of tropics and how they were transmitted through mosquitoes or snails or flies. And then kind of from a spiritual perspective, it seemed like God had created mankind and also created the mosquitoes and other insects that were the carriers of these devastating diseases, and they were at war with one another in sub-Saharan Africa, and there was no clear victor. So tropical medicine kind of combined all the fascination, fascinating aspects of medicine. 
So I decided to sign up for the Masters of Public Health in Tropical Medicine and, and never look back. Oh. So uh, you, uh, after all that studying in New Orleans, you entered and uh, re- had your residency in, uh, in L.A. That must have been a bit of a culture shock after New Orleans. Am I right? me. <laughs> I mean, was rather staid and stodgy, you know, hiking involved evading mosquitoes, snakes, and gators. And when I moved to L.A. from my training at a house in Topanga Canyon, was astonished that Topanga Beach was a nude beach. <laughs> I'd never seen folks run around naked in public. And I have to say, Keith, it was a pleasant surprise. Uh, welcome to California. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Well, you you told the story of uh, your after your residency, you went back to New Orleans and practiced for a while, and then you had a, a situation where you were on duty for a week and had a week off, and that gave you and your wife Carol a chance to travel around and look for where you really wanted to live. So for some reason, you ended up on Highway 49, came down from Downeyville, dropped into Nevada City, uh, and found uh, uh, Dr. Jerry Fry ultimately, who said, uh, "When can you start?" So uh, was that an instant decision on your part? Did you have to think about it, uh, settling here in Nevada City? Yeah, we were looking for a place to settle down and driving down 49, as you mentioned, Keith, and I stopped by to visit Dr. Hummel and asked him about working together. He said he was he was real pleasant, but he noted he'd been working alone in his office for the past 50 years in the same office, and he thought he'd like to keep it that way. So he sent over to see me to see Jerry Fry, who'd been in practice for only 35 years. <laughs> so a youngster. Jerry met me in his waiting room. <laughs> He invited me to his office, and he said, what can I do for you, young man? I replied, I was um, a recent graduate of medical residency and wondered if he'd considered taking in a partner. Jerry got really quiet, and when he finally spoke, he said, for the first time in my medical practice last night, my wife Rita and I talked about taking in a partner. And you showed up the next day. When can you start? So, <laughs> well, is that divine intervention or coincidence? <laughs> or maybe a little bit of both. So I mentioned it to Carol, and she said, uh, we need to talk a bit. We were staying at the National Hotel on Broad Street, and that evening we were sitting at the bar, and patrons noted that I was a stranger and wanted to know what I was doing in their town. And I mentioned I was considering practicing medicine here, and a fellow at the end of the bar piped up, and he said, you'll never replace Dr. Hummel. <laughs> so several years ago, a friend of mine was involved in a mine accident. He heard a noise, looked up a vertical shaft, only to be struck by a large rock. And my friend, this guy says, brains were all over the place. We took him to Dr. Hummel's office, and he stuck the brains back in, and he was good to go. No problems. <laughs> and Carol turned to me and said, there must be a high standard for medical practice here. Perhaps we should stay. And we did. Sounds like a Nevada County saga, that's for sure. Uh, you're listening to The Sages Among Us on KVMR. I'm Keith Porter. My guest tonight is Scott Kellerman, M.D. He's a physician. He's practiced in L.A., Nepal, New Orleans, Nevada City, Uganda. He's a humanitarian, and he's now our Nevada County's public health officer. So, uh, Scott, um, you ended up uh, in practice here in Nevada City for a couple, of, uh, a couple of decades. You became chief of staff at the hospital. You served on the hospital and board, and uh, you were a family practitioner. Uh, Then you moved on. Did you miss all of that when you moved on to uh, Uganda? Keith, it was was ripped my heart out. I missed my practice greatly. Um, My office manager, Jan Saul, kind of organized my life and made it easy to practice medicine. I love the work. You know, the privacy of the exam room was a reward for me. I could kind of shut out the world of the insurance companies and corporate medicine and kind of crack open the door of a patient's life. Sometimes a patient's uh, 
they wouldn't let me in. But with time, they were opening their door into the most private and intimate parts of their lives. It was this moment. I felt like I ceased being treating a disease, but began treating the patient. Uh-huh. And at the end of the day, I was always last to leave. I'd turn out the lights, um, and I would sit in a darkened office in the waiting room, kind of reflecting on a day. And the overarching feeling I had was just of a deep sense of gratitude that I was allowed to serve this community, my patients, in such a fulfilling way. Yeah, that was really tough to leave. Yeah. Well, I'm going to guess that might have also had a little pressure on your marriage when you were the last to leave, getting home uh, late for dinner and all of that sort of thing, right? That's a whole other story. I stopped doing that yeah. <laughs> when the kids started getting a little older. And, yeah, I started taking them to events and made dinner every night. So, yeah, my life did take um, you know, in a, in a different trajectory. It was not good to stay that late in the office. You're right, Keith. So somewhere during your time when you were practiced here with Dr. Shargan and Dawkins, you, the three of you purchased the old miners' hospital on Zion Street, and you converted it into an outpatient facility. Um, it's subsequently grown into the Western Sierra Clinic, which is the largest provider of medical care in Nevada County. Uh, what was that startup experience like, and what motivated you to do that? That must have been quite an interesting project. Yeah, some of you, your listeners might remember a doc who died a while back named Dr. D. Dawkins, and he was from Jamaica, just a class act guy. And um, what he did one night was invite all the docs to come over uh, for dinner. And after dinner, he said, um, uh, you maybe wonder why I invited you here. And he said, what are we going to do as a medical community to address the needs of those uninsured? or those underinsured have no access to medical care. Now, watch these people kind of pulled on their sleeve, look at their watches, and, whoa, it's getting late. I've got to get out of here. Right. And three of us remained, and that was Dawkins and Dr. Chargan and I, and we ended up purchasing Old Miners Hospital and, con- and converted it into an indigent care facility. Um, but it was a challenge. The first thing we challenged, we found out was uh, there was it was sitting on an oil leak, uh, which eventually was declared a hazmat site. Oh my. And then when the tanks were being dug out, the backhoe encountered a series of mine tunnels, and it opened up into a huge hole, and then the building started to collapse into the hole. And one day I took my son Seth, who was a high school student, over and showed him the gaping building with a big crack in, in the side of it, and, uh, and the whole thing reeked of all. And I said, hey, hey, son, you know, if you play your cards right, all this will be, can be yours one day. <laughs> and he was not impressed. But as you're right, we did renovate it and uh, the building, and then it eventually went to Whispering Pines and then the Western Sierra we know on Old Tunnel Road. So it turned out to be a success. Uh, Absolutely. Well, um, then for reasons known only to you, I guess, uh, in 2001, you and Carol packed up and you moved to the Bowendi Impenetrable Forest in Uganda to work with the Batwa Pygnigs. So um, what a major shift of focus and adventure. So why did you as a couple decide to do that? You know, that was a circuitous track anyway, because after Carol and I worked in Nepal, we were there for a couple of years, and each, actually our son Josh was born in Kathmandu. We decided that every summer we'd take four to six weeks off and travel someplace with a family and work. My wife was afraid of Africa because my subspecialty is in diseases of the tropics, and she knew about the diseases and didn't want to bring any young children over there yeah. or herself. Yeah. So we went to Central and South America and then back to Nepal, but avoided Africa until one day 
Our family was searching the internet for where to serve the following summer when we found a request to, for a medical survey on the Batwa Pygmies of Uganda. And Carol said that um, she had a lifetime fascination with pygmies and reading National Geographic. So I said, hey, you really live in Africa. And she said she knew that with a laugh. And so we agreed to go. And we did a survey. We found 38% of the kids were dying before the age of five, had a life expectancy of only age uh, 28. And over dinner one night, Carol said that um, she felt like she had come home. And wow. after a few more weeks, she said, um, this woman who had always been afraid of Africa said, I think we better be talking about this because I think when we return to the U.S., we should consider selling our possessions and return to Afri Africa to assist these unfortunate people. That's what we did, Keith. My word. Well, your work, uh, I mean, there's there's got to be stories of, of for hours in, in that interim, but uh, let me jump to just say that your work there has obviously made a huge difference in that part of the world. You founded a 175-bed hospital, nursing school with 400 students and program to educate children. You know, what, what any key highlights in that that we can fit into a 30-minute interview here that uh, you'd like to share with us? I think it was a gift of relationships. Um, some people, one time I asked the Batra, what do they respect most about um, what we're doing? Is it you know, home building, land acquisition, healthcare, access to education, things like that? And they use Kumara Brewery, which means just sitting or talking. And they said it's relationships they value the most. And the same with me. I went on the other side of the world and I thought I'd jettison these relationships. And people came over and and kind of supported us. Dick Panzeka formed our foundation. Um, Don Fultz came and, and um, became the chairman of the board. Simi Liss, good friend Gene Creasy was there. And multiple times, uh, Harry All, Sarah Warner, Julie Armour all served on the board and become close friends. So it's relationships that grew into deep friendships. They've been the highlight of my time in Africa. It's been amazing to go to the other side of the world to develop friendships with folks in Nevada County, but it's been an incredible gift. Uh, yeah, I remember Julia one point talking about, uh, I think she and uh, they, they ended up gathering a bunch of recorders, instruments, uh, musical instruments for the kids over there to play and brought, a, uh, I don't know, a whole bunch of recorders to the to the community there. It did. And actually, I got videos, so maybe Julia will let us uh, have that one night for Music in the Mountains is her in the Batra playing the recorder. Absolutely. Why not? <laughs> So um, you obviously had, uh, you said something like 200 local people that were traveled, have traveled over there to help and assist. So my goodness, that's uh, what, what do you say to those folks? Um, well, I reflect on a quote by Albert Schweitzer. He says that time, at times our own light goes out and is rekindled by a spark from another person. And each of us has cause to thank with great, dat great datitude, gratitude of those who had lighted the flame within us. And my light has flickered at times and has been rekindled by friends and countless volunteers. Saul Henson spent a couple of years bringing clean water. Steve Gonzalez came for a two-week rotary trip, stayed five years. My wife, Carol, Don Fultz, Simi Les, Mimi, Simmons, Julie Amaral, Sarah, and my great friend, Gene. These people have all been the wind under my wings, and they picked me up when I fell. And certainly without them, I would have been grounded. So a deep sense of gratitude. So if listeners are inspired to uh, join in and help uh, by the scope and the impact of your work, what, what can they do today to help sustain and help grow what you've started over there? Well, support 
our foundation. Uh, CNN has rated the Buindi as the most beautiful destination spot in the world, so it's a great place to come. But come and see and support the work. Uh, I'm sure the Batwa and the mountain gorillas would love to meet you. Okay, and so people can find out about that through the Kellerman Foundation. How, how would they research that and find out about it? Uh, KellermanFoundation2ends.org. Thanks for asking, Keith. Mm-hmm. Or they can just ask me. Okay. Uh, you're listening to The Sages Among Us on KVMR. I'm Keith Porter. My guest today is Scott Kellerman, MD. He's a physician. He's practiced in a number of places, and uh, he's back among us as our public health officer in Nevada County. So, Scott, you've been given a, an impressive number of awards. Uh, you had one from Tulane that was presented by the Dalai Lama. You had a Fulbright scholarship for teaching tropical medicine in Africa, 2017-18. Uh, yet, you come across as an approachable, unpretentious, caring kind of a guy. Um, tell, tell us how, no, but seriously, how do you personally process and deal with fame and recognition and all that and still stay connected with ordinary folks? Uh, you know, it's, I think for me, it's just been the excitement to do the work that I love and I was trained to do. And this includes not only medical work, but helping the Batra to become their own advocates. Uh, initially, when I arrived, I was considered the voice of the voiceless for the Batra, but now they speak with their own voice. Now, so I don't view myself as any better than anybody else. But Keith, I consider myself just luckier. It's been an incredible gift to live among such an interesting people who have ended up, ended up teaching me so much in the process. Oh, that's great to hear. Um, so Scott, you also teach medicine at USF and uh, Global Health at uh, College uh, Medical College in Northern California, and you're a senior consultant for the Centers for Research in Emerging Infectious Diseases, which sounds like it's completely related to what you've done um, in uh, other parts of the world, uh, and that's related to the National Institutes of Health and UC Davis. So tell us about your work there, and what does that bring to the world at this point? Future. You know, we don't want to put up with this nonsense again with these pandemics. And Centers for Research in Emerging Infectious Diseases hopes to prevent a recurrence of another pandemic. And the hospital that the residents in Nevada County built is going to be a research center for this project. Most infectious diseases are zoonotic infections transmitted from mammal to human. Zika came from the Zika forest to Uganda, transmitted by monkeys to humans by mosquitoes, West Nile, birds to uh, humans by a mosquito. It came from the West Nile district of Uganda, Ebola, Ebola River nearby Congo, so visually in bats, and, and bats were considered the reservoir for COVID-19. So UC Davis Vet School is going to be studying the primates and the bats of the Buwindi Forest for looking for interesting viruses, and our hospital will be studying the human population that has, uh, for viruses that have migrated from the animal population to the human um, and if any virulent novel viruses are detected, then we'll figure out ways to prevent the spread um, immediately and, and prevent a future pandemic. This is a really exciting project. Will potentially, I, I think, change the world. Well, You're welcome to come over, Keith. Help out. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we talk about change the world. I mean, in, in the most profound possible way, uh, from a human experience, anyway. That's for sure. <laughs> 
Well, so bringing us kind of uh, along on our journey to current time, uh, on January 1st, you were appointed uh, as our Nevada County Public Health Officer. Uh, it seems like your background and experience makes you perfectly qualified for that. But why at this point in your life did you choose to take on a task? And Because I'm guessing this task involves bureaucracy and administrative trivia and uh, all kinds of little political acts, you know, little political implications and so forth. Uh, but I... You did volunteer for the job, am I correct? I was asked, and Joe Blake called me. You know, she's the public health director, and, you know, how do you say no? Nevada County's been so generous to helping out, you know, the work in Uganda. If they were given an opportunity to return the favor here, how could I possibly say no? Another catalyst was the Ebola epidemic's been raging in eastern Congo right off the only two couple of kilometers from our hospital, and a vaccine has been developed, a gene-based vaccine, and Congo is, you know, war-torn, rebel control, lacks roads and infrastructure. However, with this vaccine and community engagement, um, the Ebola vaccine was declared over a couple of months ago. And Keith, don't you think we can have the same success against COVID in Nevada County that they had against Ebola in the Congo? Well, we're counting on it um, at some point for sure. So in, in this job, uh, Scott, uh, this demanding job, I'm sure, what what, what do you hope to accomplish? Um, it's kind of the uh, top of the list of accomplishments, and what are your current challenges? Well, at least we've got a challenge, a lack of vaccines. Uh, but the larger challenge is a kind of a fractured nation, and even our county is divided. Public health is, I mean, I've been in public health my life has been remained below the radar. Nobody notices us. However, now I face suspected of demonstrations by anti-vaxxers on one hand and calls all night for people asked to be moved up the food chain for immunizations. And, but it is my fervent hope that if we work together collaboratively with compassion and respect for one another, that we can not only heal ourselves from the ravages of a virus, but also heal, heal our divisions in this community. Amen. Yeah, let's. Uh, nothing. Nothing more important uh, for most of us, I think, than than healing in all those respects. Um, so, Scott, in our last couple of minutes that we have here, uh, let me ask you two personal questions. Is there an accomplishment or role in your life that you're especially pleased with or or proud of? Um, yeah, that's that's a tough question, Keith. Is um, you know. Indeed, I think the best thing that is the accomplishment for me is is kind of blurring the line between uh, work and play. Um, and so I look at every day, um, regardless of whether it's a day off or whether it's work, I look at it as an opportunity to experience life and, and experience joy. And so I, I look at that probably as just blurring the, light, uh, the lines between work and play has been... Uh, what has allowed me to continue working at this stage of my life because I consider it a great joy. Wonderful. Um, The converse question, I suppose, anything you'd care to share about your life that in retrospect you'd do differently if you could do it all over again? (laughs) Yeah, I I look at that sometimes. Look at the retrospectoscope and, and the answer is no. And the reason is that 
If I'd gone with the idea, uh, going to Africa with the idea of building a hospital and nursing school and extricating people out of their cycle of poverty, I would have never gone because I don't have a skill set. That would have been a disaster. I would have stayed home. Mm. But we thought, ah, I can go over for a couple of years and just enjoy working with a people group. They have a lot of fun singing, dancing, um, enjoying a different culture. In the process, people, people came over with a whole different skill set and a vision. And working together, we're able to accomplish a lot that I never could have accomplished on my own. So again, that's the gift of collaboration, produce something that, that I thought was of great beauty and, and great value. Can you identify for you personally, what are the personal rewards from your civic engagement and your activism that make it all worthwhile? I mean, you've talked about, uh, you know, the ability to to cross the bridge, I suppose, between work and play. But uh, but what gives you pleasure from all that? What are the rewards for you? I'd like to look back and say it's um, yeah, a spirit of accomplishment, but I didn't do it for accomplishments. You know, that's not the real goal. Uh, I guess my main aspiration in life is um, to move from a state of doing to being. And I guess with a people group that didn't have a future tense in their language, where they were living in the moment, and that's what we're supposed to be, Keith, is mindful, living in the moment. And being with people like that, it, it might kind of move me from an attitude of doing to a state of being. Um, and that's what I'd like to continue to do the rest of my life is I think that's more of a spiritual approach than cranking out buildings and other things. But uh, I think that's um, one of the things that I would like to focus on as my life evolves. It's more of a state of being than doing. That's wonderful. I was going to ask you, but I think I know the answer to the question. If you're an optimist about the future, uh, I sense that you probably are. And Scott, it's been wonderful to have a chance to chat with you. We've got so much more we could have talked about, but uh, we do the best we can with the time we've got. And it's great to have you as our public health officer. And I know the community is looking forward to some great uh, contributions from you and the team at the public health department. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Keith. It's really an honor. And I hope we get a chance to have a cup of coffee today and hope in the future be massless. That will be wonderful. It'll happen. And I hope folks will join in again next week to hear The Sages Among Us at 630 on Wednesday when Taylor Wolf will be interviewing Rebecca Torpy, the marketing manager for Briar Patch. Thanks very much for listening. Have a great evening. 